0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this week's episode of the About to Review podcast. I'm your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. Subscribe, rate, and review on your podcast platform of choice. It is listed on every podcast platform. So Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Blueberry via TuneIn, or Alexa via TuneIn, Blueberry, and you can stream the episodes directly from the website abouttoreview.com which also has full links to the show notes and guests. On today's episode, there are going to be reviews for the Happy Time Murders and Searching. Uh, And I said that, you know, this is that guy named John, but I feel like it should be that guy named Han, because this is a solo show. Get it? Han, Han Solo? Anybody? Crickets? Okay. Uh, Yes, so this is a solo show, everybody. So it will just be me here in the studio going over some of the geek news items of the week and then going right into the reviews. So before we get into we, before, yes, you and I are on this journey together. So before we get into all of that, we will go to the original theme song created by Damian Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. (laughs) Straight into the geek news since I am alone in the studio and I do not need to introduce either a new guest or a returning guest. Uh, but also, a special shout out to uh, last week to first time guest uh, Michelle, aka Pete's Cat MV. Uh, I got some great feedback from uh, the listeners. They liked hearing a new voice on the podcast. So I definitely will, you know, see if we can make that uh, more of a common thing and getting some new voices, along with the regulars, the regular cast of characters that you have come to know and love over the past couple years. So yeah, the geek news items for the week. First thing, uh, Crazy Rich Asians, which, full disclosure, I have yet to see. Uh, I missed our press screening and I have been super busy, so I have not seen it yet. But the exciting news is that it is doing very well. I talk about it on this podcast all the time. Representation matters. And so the fact that this movie is making a bunch of money, and not only that, but giving people the opportunity to see some of what their stories that they have lived through are being reflected, that is awesome. Almost more so than the fact that it is making a bunch of money, but that definitely helps, especially because Warner Brothers is now optioning both of Kevin Kwan's other books that apparently are part of a trilogy series of books, which I have not read either because apparently I just am not good at my job, I guess. Uh, But yeah, so the next book in the series is called Crazy Rich Girlfriend. And so they have already optioned that for a sequel, especially on the success, based on the success of Crazy Rich Asians. So that is exciting. I mean, it definitely you know, is not going to happen soon because John Chu, the director of Crazy Rich Asians, his next project, which I am super excited about, is Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical, In the Heights. They're doing a movie version of that. Anybody who has listened to this podcast for more than a couple episodes (laughs) knows that I am a gigantic musical theater fan. It was my background, so super excited for that. So this probably this... New sequel, Crazy Rich or sorry, China Rich Girlfriend is probably not gonna, you know, see the light for another couple years, which is fine. But yeah, it is just exciting. I love seeing diverse creators getting their chance, getting just the foot in the door to be like, hey, a cast that looks like this can make a solid movie. Not only that, it can make a lot of people happy because they see themselves represented on screen which does not happen as often as it should. So that is exciting. Uh, Next, Jay Ellis, who was previously on Insecure as Lawrence. Uh, Yeah, once he got off that couch in Insecure, yeah, he never went back. So he has been saying, staying super busy, people were all upset that he is not coming back for season three of Insecure. Now we know some of the reasons. He was recently cast... In the Top Gun sequel, Opposite Tom Cruise. Um, I have no idea what this new sequel is going to be about, but I am 100% on board. I love Top Gun. It is one of my guilty pleasure movies. Uh, it was one of the first movies that I saw in the theater when I was a kid. So, I love Top Gun. Jay Ellis being cast in that is interesting. it's like, all right, cool. Because so far with the cast that we have seen, you know, they're kind of trying to connect it to the original. I mean, so far, Val Kilmer, you know, was already cast, which I am nervous about only because seeing recent interviews with Val Kilmer is, is tough. It is just kind of depressing because he has had a lot of health issues in the past few years. And that has taken a toll. And so seeing him now versus what Those of us who grew up seeing him in movies like Top Gun, uh, I mean, Top Secret, you know, and all of those movies, but also Batman, I still maintain he is a decent Batman. He just is not a good Bruce Wayne. So, but that is a conversation for a different time. So as far as what Jay Ellis's role is going to be, if he is going to be the kind of maverick character In this because Tom Cruise's Maverick is kind of becoming the Viper-esque role. So, kind of the instructor. So, who knows what is going to happen with that. But it is exciting. I liked Jay Ellis on Insecure. I'm excited to see what he does in in Top Gun. Uh, And it is Top Gun. And I am saying it again on episode 123. I said it a few episodes also. (laughs) I firmly believe that in this sequel there will be more drone piloting than people expect. Because yes, we still have amazing fighter jets. The F- F-15 is kind of getting remodeled and they might be making new ones of those. But I feel like a lot of this is going to be drones, which I'm not too excited about. But I, yeah, I think that is just that is where technology is these days. So yeah, watching somebody behind a computer screen... Some joystick controls for a drone. Definitely not as dramatic as people in the cockpits of these actual fighter planes, but we will see. Uh, And yeah, we will not be seeing that movie for a couple years as well. Uh, Moving on to another sequel. I mean, because Top Gun is a sequel. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Now, anybody who has been up on pop culture and... In the news in the past couple of months, you know, has seen a lot of the fallout since the firing of James Gunn for his previous tweets and all of that. First of all, that whole situation is ridiculous, mainly because it was brought on by a certain group with a certain goal, and they succeeded. Disney caved, and that that is a problem because showing that group, and you know what group I'm talking about, but showing a group like that what type of power they have is just a really slippery slope. In the wake of that, you had a bunch of people, actually the whole cast from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, signing a letter to an open letter to Disney be like, "Bring James Gunn back. Disney is stubborn and they, they got to stick with their guns," you know. So they have they are not hiring James Gunn back. Then there was discussion of Oh well, are they still going to use the script that he wrote for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3? Probably not. Not quite sure. But the big news having to do with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 that they just announced uh, is that it is on hold. Now, again, these types of things happen in the industry. So sometimes it is not a okay, this movie is never going to get made. With this one, it just it something about it feels feels bad uh, but essentially what happened was they were going to start doing some early principal photography I mean they're they were not even going to start filming this for a few months but that early production meeting and principal photography Disney was like you know the timeline has been pushed out you are free to look for other work which in a way is nice of them because when you have these You know, people on contract or freelancers and whoever you have making this movie successful. They are kind of in that hurry up and wait offense. They're not sure what the future of this movie is going to be. Disney was like, all right, we just need time to regroup, go work on some other stuff, pick up some other projects, because this is not going to be happening right now. So that is concerning. Um, based on the events of Infinity War Part 1, I I mean, who knows how much that will have a ripple effect on the casting of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, so it just, it it sucks. The whole situation sucks uh, because it just, there's an easy solution to this, but it will not make people happy, certain people happy. But that is business. It is that is going to happen regardless. Not everybody is going to love everything. But yes, as of right now, Guardians of Galaxy Volume Three is on hold. Uh, I wanted to do uh, a real quick shout out since you know we were talking about uh, comic books and Guardians of Galaxy Volume Three. A comic book legend, Russ Heath, uh, passed away this past week. You probably do not know his name because he is not like a Jack Kirby, John Buscema. Though that type of, of name, but Russ Heath, his first job was in 1947, working for a company that eventually became Marvel Comics, Timely Comics. He was huge in the kind of the war comics back then, the westerns, but then he transitioned into the EC comics, which were the horror comics, which led to a lot of fascinating things. I mean, there's a book, Seduction of the Innocent, and those old school EC comics, when you look at them, they're pretty incredible. Just what they were doing at the time—the create, the creativity, the horror elements, the somewhat grotesque imagery that they were doing—and this was early. This was in the fifties. So there's one particular cover that he did. It is uh, "Stories to Hold You Spellbound," uh, number four. Fantastic cover. I will actually put it up on my social media. Uh, is a woman holding her own head saying, come in, dear, I've been expecting you, as her husband is freaking out. Classic EC comic. So he passed away at the age of 91 <laughs> this past week, so definitely shout out to him. Uh, legend in the game. Once you actually go through and you start looking through some of his things, you will realize if you are a comic book fan, you know some of his work. He Even some of the ads that you saw in the old comic books that I grew up with, like the Roman soldiers, where you could buy a hundred Roman soldiers for like $13, you know, those toys. So yeah, shout out to to him. Uh, that is definitely a, a huge legend that is passing or that has passed away, not passing away, has already passed away. Uh, Ruby Rose talked about this briefly on, on an episode a while ago, but yeah, she was cast as Batwoman for the new CW show which I'm a gigantic fan of, the CW shows, except for Arrow. Arrow is the only one that I dropped out of, like, two seasons ago that I have not felt compelled to go back into. I will watch the crossovers because those are great, but something about Arrow, like, that was the first one. I watched all of it. The more the other ones started coming out, and they reminded me more of just the ridiculousness of DC Comics of my childhood, especially... Legends of Tomorrow, the show is just fun, quirky, whatever. But Batwoman is going to be joining the Berlanti verse, the CW verse, uh, and Ruby Rose was cast as Batwoman. That in and of itself is great. Totally down for that. Excited for it. Again, going back to some of kind of what I talked about with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three. There are certain groups of people who apparently just do not understand reality and blasted Ruby Rose for being cast at this, being like, I don't think she's right for it. Batwoman is a lesbian, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Spoiler alert, Ruby Rose is a lesbian and came out at 12 years old and talked about that. And because of all of this backlash, because of the impact of social media these days to not only the industry, but to the people involved, she left Twitter. She was like, I, I just I I'm not gonna deal with this right now. That is madness. That should not be happening. <laughs> but so I mean, congratulations to Ruby Rose for being cast. I'm on board for seeing that. And I think with a TV show, we will be able to see a bit more of her range. Because in the movies that she has done, the projects that she has done, she is is kind of fun, it's kind of quirky. Based on the role, whether it was in Triple X or recently The Meg, I think with a TV show, especially a CW-style TV show, we will finally get the opportunity to see kind of what what her chops are. Because over a 12-episode, 20-episode season, you really get to know the actor and how they work. So I'm excited for that. I think they're going to start filming that next year. So hopefully, like, late 2019, early 2020 uh, is when we will actually see her folded into the CW-verse. So, down for that. Uh, And then the last bit of news, Danny Boyle officially left James Bond 25, which he was set to direct, which was set to start filming pretty soon. Like, this is a very late change, and this is the second director that... James Bond 25 has gone through already. This whole production just seems weird. Considering Daniel Craig after Spectre came out was giving interviews saying that he will never return to James Bond. And a lot of times when you see this, the actor is saying that so that they can get a little bit more money or whatever. Verdi had thrown a bunch of money at him. And it is one thing to like use that as leverage to maybe a little bit more. No, he basically crapped on the entire process and James Bond as a character and like he used some pretty vicious wording when talking about how much he never wanted to return to the James Bond franchise again. Then, of course, he got cast. And then you know, they go through the first director. Now that Danny Boyle left, I just am not sure. I mean, I love James Bond. But with franchises like Mission Impossible and other things, do we really need another James Bond? As far as the name, the the everything about it, MI6, M, Q, do we need James Bond in 2018 or 2019, whenever this movie would come out? I honestly think no. Just write a solid spy thriller, an action spy thriller with espionage, with, you know, solid characters with good action, and it will be successful. The fact that I think they're kind of banking on, oh, this is the 25th James Bond movie, and James Bond is on another adventure, and James Bond, cool, we get it, it is James Bond. People are going to see that movie because it is James Bond, but that does not mean that it should not be a solid film. So as big, as, as big of a James Bond fan as I am, I just don't really think we we need another one. If they make it, of course I will see it. It is James Bond. But in general, give me some new original storytelling or do something like Mission Impossible and make it so that even though it is an established franchise, it is bringing the heat. Mission Impossible Fallout was incredible. And it was not just because it was an Ethan Hunt movie. It was because it was a solid movie with some of the best action set pieces in a decade so it just is kind of weird uh who knows what will happen with this they of course started throwing around different directors of who should pick it up and as of right now a lot of the directors they were mentioning i am not super excited about so we'll see what happens with this in particular i realized that a lot of the news this week has been like, hey, this thing might not happen. Hey, this thing maybe is happening. So that is kind of the the entertainment news in in a nutshell. A lot of it is just speculation. So as far as James Bond 25, you let me know. So reach out to the show at About Treeview on social media and let me know, are you excited about another James Bond movie or would you rather just have another spy movie? Just another generic, awesome thriller spy movie. So yeah, so let me know. Uh, Okay, so that was the geek news for the week. The first review for this episode is The Happy Time Murders. This is directed by Brian Henson, stars Melissa McCarthy, uh, Maya Rudolph, Joe McHale is, is in this, Leslie David Baker is in this, aka Stanley from The Office, who for whatever reason, this is my rant before I go into my review, So, Leslie David Baker as Lieutenant Banning is in the movie a lot. We get a lot of interaction with him. And he is not involved in any of the marketing. You get, like, Joel McHale and everything, which is great. I love Joel McHale. Joel McHale was probably on set for, like, a day or two. And for whatever reason, you see his name before Leslie David Baker. And, like, come on, man. Like, Baker is awesome. He is funny. Legitimate talent, but because he does not have the name that is immediately recognizable, yeah. So that, that kind of bothered me. But yeah, Elizabeth Banks, uh, Maya Rudolph as well, and then the the voice of the the main Muppet character or puppet character, before people freak out, uh, is Bill Beretta. So this film is basically Bill Beretta plays Phil Phillips, who is a disgraced uh, police officer. He was the first puppet uh, on the police force incident happens. He then is no longer on the police force. So he becomes a private eye. There is a, a TV show called happy time, something. I forget what it was called Uh, in this universe that is populated by humans and puppets. The cast from this TV show is basically getting picked off, you know, one by one. And he is trying to solve this case with Melissa McCarthy, who you find out is his ex-partner. I mean, you find that out, like, very soon. Like, the first interaction. So that is not a spoiler. That is not, like, a big third-act twist. Literally, from their first interaction, they talk about it. So, in the course of this investigation, you know, as he is investigating these murders, one of the things that that I did like about this that I thought was actually pretty funny and clever, when you see a puppet, you know, get shot or something or explode and you see this fluff go everywhere, you kind of laugh, you know, it, it is kind of silly but it is done in this like weird visceral sense where it had a bit of reality to it that was surprising um, and I liked that when the human like the CSI team would get on the scene of one of these cases and they see all the fluff one of them kind of like did like a dry heave and turned away as if he was saying a real murder scene. That was clever. Like, that was something that I just, I had not really, you know, seen before where the humans were taking it that seriously. You know, like, this was a legit murder scene. There is fluff everywhere, but those are body parts. You know, these are not puppets. These are r- real uh, creatures, real beings, I guess, in this universe. So that was clever. Um, the actual puppetry. The puppet work in this was exceptional. Like it looks incredible. And yes, those of us who grew up watching Muppet Treasure Island and Muppet Christmas Carol and the Muppets in general, this is this is definitely, definitely not that. But at the same time, the the evolution of just the technology was really cool. And it is still hand puppets, it is still wires, it is still that classic thing. These are not, you know, a bunch of CGI characters so the interaction between the humans and the muppets the puppets uh is where it gets a little bit not dicey but melissa mccarthy does a really convincing job of having chemistry with this puppet that she is juxtaposed juxtaposed with some of the other characters that there was not really that and some of the even the puppets the sinking of of the mouth movements was not as good as some of the other ones. And it was it was noticeable. And yes, these are puppets. They're not going to be perfect. But I think with some of the voices, like Bill Beretta as Phil Phillips, it worked. Like, it really worked with the tone, with the character. Other ones, it, it felt more like, you know, a Sesame Street style or Muppet style, where you were just watching it, and you are just like, all right, cool. It, it is a puppet. I am dealing with it. Other ones actually felt like real characters. So... That was fun in and of itself. There was some controversy when this was being made, because in the tagline of the first trailers, it said, No Sesame, All Street. Which, of course, Sesame Workshop sued them. Keep in mind, this kind of the snake eating its own tail. This is Sesame Workshop suing Brian Henson, the son of Jim Henson, who created the Muppets and Sesame Street, but they were saying that people were going to get confused by this marketing Children, parents, were going to be confused, being like, "Oh, we should go to see, see this Sesame Street movie." No, dummy. No, that that is not how it worked. So they lost the suit completely. The Happy Time Murders won the suit because the judge was like, um, "So far, we have not like you cannot prove that people have actually been confused that people were getting the merchandise or advance tickets thinking that it was a Sesame Street or a Muppet." Production or a Henson production to that level, so no, and just threw the suit out, so, I mean, the whole thing was just kind of ridiculous, just because they are puppets, and it is done by the son of Jim Henson, does not mean that these are the puppets and the Muppets that you grew up with, and that was some of the backlash, and it was so weird, there was a huge contingent of people being like, I hope this movie fails, they're ruining the legacy of Jim Henson, blah, blah, Why? They are puppets. Anybody can do, like, have you not seen Avenue Q? I mean, this is not a new thing. And if you really go back and look at it, Jim Henson's original puppets, it was a black and white, like, go. I I will even put a clip into some of it. Like, it was an adult-themed puppet show back in the day, like, originally with Jim Henson. So people getting all up in arms about it was just dumb. Speaking of dumb, and that was a smooth transition. Uh, this movie, so like I said, the the weight of the characters, you know, for the most part, felt kind of cool. Some of the interactions were better. Um, the The script and the storyline was dumb. It, it was it was it was pretty dumb. You get these people from this tv show who are getting picked off and then they have to investigate and the whole time like you are supposed to buy in to this premise that was borderline not borderline offensive it was offensive essentially the puppets in this world in which they exist they make the correlation that the puppets are people of color and that they're discriminated against and police brutality and everything and that the only reason the humans do not have racism, is because now they both banded together against the puppets. What? Like, the social commentary of this movie is so completely tone-deaf that it was just offensive. It was like, so wait, we were supposed to believe that racism no longer exists, but puppetism does? And that is a, big, a bigger issue than race? What? Like, I could see what they were trying to say, but they just failed. Like, that it was just a dumb way to go about it. When I was thinking about this movie and, like, looking at my notes that I always write in the theater, I had to really think about it. I was like, wait, how did this movie end? And that is, that, that is a shame considering I just saw this a couple days ago, and I had already kind of jettisoned it out of my memory. Um, <laughs> that, that was just kind of weird. Uh, and what was also weird is, so this was co-produced by the H Brothers, which is a Chinese production company that has done things like Mile 22, Warcraft, Molly's Game, Hardcore Henry, the upcoming Peppermint. So they are a huge production company, which normally, when you see these co-productions with a U.S. distributor and a Chinese producer, it is to kind of get around the very intense Chinese uh, guidelines as far as bringing in new movies and media and censorship So when you have a Chinese producer, it kind of helps ease that transition into the Chinese market. That being said, this movie is such a weird choice for them to produce because this movie will never make it past the Chinese censorship film bureau. Not a chance. So it was interesting that they produced it, usually to kind of help with the the marketing and everything like that. Once you get to the Asian markets... But there is no way this is playing in, in China. Um, and if it does, it will be a much, much smaller thing. So that, that was just kind of an odd choice. Um, but yeah, the actual characters themselves, Melissa McCarthy, she is funny. I like Melissa McCarthy. I have seen a bunch of her movies. She is funny. She is a legit like improv-style comedian. Where when you see the behind-the-scenes footage, when you see outtakes... Or even just her on SNL. Like, she she gets it. She understands comedy. But this movie, like, I, I just... She was one of the only good parts in it. Um, and she has some really funny stuff that happens, but a lot of the other human characters, like Elizabeth Banks, I honestly can remember what happened to her in the movie. And I was like, what? I, you know, I just had to think about it. That sucks. Uh, Joel McHale was funny, but again, he was on set for like a day. To knock out all of his stuff. Uh, Michael McDonald. A mad TV veteran. <laughs> he was in this movie for a little bit. That was great. I'm a huge fan of Michael McDonald. But in general the human characters. Other than Melissa McCarthy and Maya Rudolph. Who Maya Rudolph. Can we just please start a petition. To give her her own movie. Every like, It seems like so many movies. They're like alright you're really funny. We understand that. You're going to be the sidekick you're going to be the foil. You're going to be, you're still going to be there because you are funny. And we really like that, but we're not going to give you your own movie. I just, I think that is weird. So, cause I, I'm a huge Maya Rudolph fan and she can carry a movie. Like she, she is better than just being the person in the, like in the, the side character who gets to say some funny stuff and have some good dialogue. So, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie was in the credits. Not just because I love behind-the-scenes and outtake stuff, but because it actually showed you the green screen stuff that they were doing with the puppets. That was really cool. And to see how they interact with people, to see the outtakes. So, uh, yeah. That kind of wraps it up for, for the Happy Time Murders. The official rating system for this podcast, if this is your first time listening, there are only three choices. No letter grades, no stars. The three choices are good, bad, or ugly. A good film was something that you came out of the theater and you were like, you know what, that was great. Let me text my buddies, my friends, family, whatever, and just be like, hey, go check this out. You will enjoy it. That would be a good film. A bad film was something you walk out of and you were like, you know, I did not really hate it, but it was just kind of blah. It was just kind of there and not really something that you would immediately recommend. Ugly, avoid at all costs. Pretty self-explanatory. The Happy Time Murders. So far in 2018... There have been some really standout films in a lot of different genres. On the flip side of that, there have been some movies that are trash. Uh, Happy Time Murders is trash. Um, this, this is a tough one because this is... Actually, no, I'm just going to stick with my guns, go with my first instinct. This movie is ugly. Uh, there were some funny moments. There were some funny interactions. But there is zero reason to spend money and see this in the theater. Zero. Save your money. Go see something else. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it was just again the tone deaf social commentary, the development of the characters. It was just kind of just weird. Uh, yeah. This this is ugly. Uh, my favorite part of the movie was the credits. And I think part of that was because that was when I knew the movie was over. Um, And they had some nice green screen stuff and behind the scenes action. This movie is also under 90 minutes, under 90 minutes to the point where like when it did end and like the credits, you saw the behind the scenes seven. I was like, all right, cool. And then it goes like, then it ends ends. And we were still sitting there. We were like, that was like 80 minutes. Like this was a short film and it felt way longer which is crazy. I'm not sure how they managed to do that with the space-time continuum, but they made an 80-minute movie seem like two hours. So, yeah, this this is ugly. Uh, up there with, with one of the worst films of the year, and I like dumb comedies. I like kind of throwaway comedies where you can just go and turn your brain off. This one, it was just, yes, I enjoyed parts of it. I did laugh out loud at a couple parts, but oof. No, it was rough. So, Ugly, for the happy time, Murders. Next film on the docket uh, is Searching. Now, this is directed by Anish Shaganti. Uh, this is his first feature film. He has done a lot of shorts, and he worked with Google. He did the first, like, Google Glass commercial. Really inventive filmmaker, just based on his other projects. Uh, he did a film that was all in reverse. He did a full POV film. The way his brain works as a director is just one of the most unique visions that I've seen of a director in years. Because it is not just all right, cool, let me take the regular cameras that movies that you know that we used in the movies and do something different. It is how would I rethink how we film movies? So really interesting. So the, the premise of searching is it stars John Cho. Uh, John Cho and Michelle La, uh, his daughter, along with Deborah Messing. So, John Cho is, is a father whose daughter, 16 year old daughter, goes missing. And then he basically starts this huge mission to, to find out what happened. In the course of that, he finds out he did not know a lot about his daughter, you know, her daughter's life. She was 16, you know, she is 16 in this movie and as a sixteen year old she has a lot of secrets and she might not be telling him everything. That whole aspect plays into the core of the movie. So as they go through this movie, and again, talking about the unique perspective that Anish has, this whole movie not only takes place like from laptop cameras and and things like that, but I will I will say that it takes place not takes place. It is filmed using alternative cameras. Because unlike a movie like Unfriended Dark Web, which we talked about on a recent episode, where everything in that movie felt like a gimmick. It was like, oh, we are on Skype, and then I did FaceTime video, and it felt like a gimmick. Or when they were on their cell phone, everything just felt forced. With searching, so it takes place a lot on laptop screens, and sometimes when it would go to like a, uh, like a, a drone or helicopter style shot, immediately I was like, oh, that kind of sucks that they, you know, that they did that as opposed to sticking with this format of using the computer screen. And then like two seconds into that camera shot, that overhead shot, it would pull out and you would be watching it on like a YouTube style format. Really clever. And so he stuck to his guns of having everything be, you know, these alternate cameras. Because yes, I mean some of this was filmed with film cameras, of course, you know, or digital cameras. But even when it was from like, you know, security footage or things like that or or his laptop, everything was done in such a unique way that it actually integrated into the story so much so that there were times when I forgot that was the quote-unquote gimmick. I was just watching a compelling movie. And even though it was all on the computer screens and things like that, it was so seamless that it just it made sense and so that that was that was pretty amazing. There is not a lot that I can talk about with this movie with without giving things away uh because yeah, just this movie is a suspense thriller that is done incredibly well. I had people reaching out to me when they saw that I was seeing this. And they're like, oh, is it a horror movie? I don't really like horror movies. I have no idea what trailers they saw that kind of led them to believe that. Maybe it was some of the marketing. It does kind of look like a scary movie with some of the marketing, sure. But no, this is this is not a horror film to those people listening. Uh, this is a suspense thriller. This is a drama. This is a mystery. This is a thriller. This is suspenseful. It is engaging. It is impactful. John Cho is a Star, this guy again. Like I was just talking about Maya Rudolph, how she needs, you know, her own movie. She needs people to be see people, see her as a solid person who can, you know, run a film by herself. John Cho, man, this guy is just crushing it. And you know, he can do the big movies like Star Trek and everything, which is great. Doing a film like Columbus, you know, from last year. Doing a movie like this, where it shows his range as a dramatic actor blew me away like there are scenes in this movie where you kind of forget that a lot of us our first exposure is either American Pie or Harold and Kumar go to White Castle seeing his growth as an actor as a performer is is phenomenal so he was just I mean especially in a movie like this where it is really just an introspective look at him. He is driving this movie. We're looking at the movie essentially through his eyes. Because even though, you know, it is the laptop, you know, FaceTime style camera, we're only seeing him. And the, the ensemble that, you know, is put together around him, there are only a few scenes where there are more than a few people. Actually more than two people. So that, I mean, it really just was like, okay, John Cho, here you go. Here is your vehicle. Run with it. Uh, the direction, I mean, by Anish, was solid and not just solid, but just unique. Uh, it took him, I was listening to another interview that he did. It took him two years to edit this movie. So in the original title of this was actually search. Like when this first started coming out at film festivals, it was search. They changed it, you know, along the marketing path to searching happens all the time. So when he was talking about it, it took him two years to edit this movie because Of those unique perspectives, because of those unique, that unique vision that he has, that type of dedication to your craft is so special and so just kind of harrowing. Um, Yeah, that he has my utmost respect. And if this is his first, not if, because this is his first feature film, I am fascinated to see kind of what is next. If he sticks with this style of alternative, Camera work, alternative filming, alternative viewpoints, or if he goes more the traditional route, I, I just am really not sure. Uh, John Cho as the dad in this, as a 2018 dad, was hilarious. At one point, when he is looking through, you know, his daughter's computer to try and piece together clues, uh, somebody was like, "Oh, have you checked her Tumblr?" And he was like, "What? What's a Tumblr?" Hilarious. Because, again, he he is a dad. He is an out-of-touch dad with a teen daughter. <laughs> it was just funny. Um, there were some times when, you know, and he would be go to, going to log into Facebook and then to Gmail, and, you know, we we're seeing all of that. The first, I would say, like, few times we see that, you know, I, I will not say that it was, uh, hmm. It was just, it was, we get it. That was a a thing that he did more than once, but I think once he did those Moments where you had to go like, oh, forgot password, go to Gmail, forgot that one. And you are bouncing around between those things. It was it was entertaining. It was kind of funny. Uh, But yeah, it was just it was I'm glad they only did that a few times. The intro to this movie, the first like 10 minutes. Again, shows in that 10 minutes, the range of John Cho. Some traumatic stuff happens. Within that first ten minutes, that sets the tone for the rest of the movie, and man, like it is, it is brutal. Um, I was going to make a comparison to another movie that has a brutal opening ten minutes, but I will not because it was it would essentially kind of ruin part of that. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, let me see. So uh, Timur Bekmambetov, uh, who is a producer, he did like Hardcore Henry. He also produced. Unfriended and Unfriended Dark Web. He produced this as well. I think he just likes to stay busy and do projects that are similar. But that was interesting, kind of see his name in the credits as it was scrolling by. Um, Deborah Messing. I mean, she was she was good in this. She again, it, it when you have such a strong performance by an actor like John Cho in this movie if other people are not up to that same level, it is just very apparent. So even though Deborah Messing was good in this movie, John Cho was excellent in this movie. And so in every scene, if that that is who you're comparing it to, yeah, it is just, it is not quite the same. Uh, Joseph Lee was also in this as John Cho's brother. Uh, He was, yeah, he was good also, but it just, it shows the depth and range of John Cho when he outshines everybody else that he is sharing the screen with. So, uh, yeah, like I said, I cannot go too much into it because there are a lot of twists and turns and different ways that this movie goes. Uh, But I would just say that Anish, as a director, phenomenal. Like, that that vision, I just want to get inside his brain and see how that works. Um, I did hit him up on Twitter to be like, hey, I would love to have you as a guest on my show to talk about this. We'll see if I can make that happen. That would be awesome if it did. Uh, but yeah, it was shot in the dark. So, the official rating for Searching, which is in theaters right now. Uh, this movie is just under two hours. Uh, this is amazing. This movie is good. I, I mean, it. this is one of the top movies of the year for me. It hooked me right away in the beginning to see that dramatic twist from Jon Cho. The way it was paced. The way that everything was laid out, the third act was incredible. <laughs> this is one of the best films of the year, flat out. So, and it was getting a lot of buzz around the the festival circuit. And whenever that happens, you know that is great. But sometimes those movies do not translate well, you know, to the box office or to basically outside of the festival circuit. Because at a festival, you, the the people that you are showing that movie to are just kind of at a, at a different uh, mindset. This is flat out one of the best movies of the year. I cannot recommend this movie enough. So, yeah, searching gets gets an absolute good. So there we go. Uh, that was another solo episode, which I'm getting more comfortable with. It still feels weird. Um, yeah. I almost feel like one of these days, I, if I'm doing a solo show, I should either do like a Facebook Live thing so people can actually interact while I'm doing this, or is it Discord? I think Discord has something where you can basically be podcasting live and have that interaction with people. Because it is weird for me to be in the studio by myself talking to myself, but, you know, I did it. Again, I'm giving myself a gold star for the day. Uh, Yeah, so I talked about the geek news, and the review for Happy Time Murders, the official rating for that is ugly. If you want to check this out on Netflix or streaming in like six months, go for it. It will have a couple funny moments, but not enough. Uh, Not enough to justify the ridiculous premise and just, yeah, it was just dumb. So yeah, The Happy Time Murders gets an ugly. Searching, on the other hand, gets a good, one of the best films of the year. Give John Cho more of everything. He is phenomenal. So I would love to have him on the show too. If somebody is connected to him, reach out to him. Let him know. (laughs) So uh, as for upcoming things for this podcast, uh, next week's episode, it might be a day or two late. So it might not be dropping right on Wednesday. Might be Thursday, maybe even Friday. Still trying to work out some scheduling things, but that will have um, a review for Operation Finale, Kin, and The Little Stranger. So yeah. Three three movies on that one, maybe a couple more, again, depending on scheduling. It gets weird. Uh, but then after that, I will be going to Rose City Comic Con. So that week's episode will be all about Rose City Comic Con. Uh, going to be hanging out with Nick and Dyer from the Northwest Nerd podcast down there. Super excited for that. Um, and other podcast things. So I was actually a guest on the Made in the 80s podcast, which is hosted by Tim and Shalia and Kendan. So we did we talked about Superman 1 and Superman 2 beautiful movies that make me smile and they make my heart just expand and then I get real sad whenever I look at Christopher Reeve because he is phenomenal and no one will ever be like him again. So those episodes I think come out in the next couple of weeks so I will put a link to the Made in the 80s podcast. I'm also going to be a guest on another local podcast called Black and a Half podcast with Silas and Manny. So I'm recording that soon. I'm not sure the exact release date, but I will keep you updated. And yeah, so things are, things are really busy uh, here in the About to Review studios. So uh, like I said before, at the top of the show, follow the podcast on social media at About to Review. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. You can also leave a review on Facebook. That would actually be awesome. Uh, it is a lot easier to do than on iTunes, and it actually shows up. Weird! Imagine that. What a what an amazing ability to do that. Uh, yeah, you can go to aboutreview.com for full links to the show notes and guests. Uh, thank you everybody for for listening. Thank you for supporting the show. If you want to support the show in different ways, you can go on Amazon. There's a wish list uh, with a couple items there. You can also there's a PayPal link if you want to go that route. So thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting the show for this week's episode of the About to Review podcast i've been your host that guy named john or han solo uh and i will see you next time let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat